Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Let's say you, Richard Ellick Murdoch, are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall into the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. right outside the gun room where uh, Paul Murdoch and his friends like to cite in uh, uh, 300 blackouts, one of which is now missing uh, that was purchased by the family. There were also spent cases found on a shooting range on the property as well. Uh, what the firearm uh, examiner will say is that, is that his, his conclusion is, is that uh, all those cases bear markings uh, similar with one another that they were all cycled through the same weapons. Well, what's the what's the importance about this blackout rifle? Tell me what they're talking about. Drew, do you want to start? Well, the the first takeaway there, and hello everyone who can't see me on camera, uh, but the first takeaway there is what he's really saying. What what Creighton Waters is really saying, and it's not that the spent shell casings that were found near Maggie's body, the ones from the bullets that were fired at her that killed her. Those are not a match to what they believe is the murder weapon, right? Because they are, they don't have the murder weapon. That's one thing that's become clear through all of this. They have not found the rifle that they believe was used to shoot and kill Maggie Murdoch. But the state prosecutors are trying to say they believe they have definitively tied the bullets, the the cartridges, the ammunition that was used in her killing, they believe they have definitively tied them to the Murdoch property and to the Murdoch's possession because another rifle, off of both, that rifle both being chambered in a caliber called 300 Blackout, um, 30 caliber rifle round, um, it, it's used in rifles that operate it's primarily used in rifles that operate on the ar-15 platform uh ar-15 is a is more more than anything it's a style of rifle right uh you can have it's it, you can have it's like you have different types of cars you have uh you you have different makes and models but they all pretty much for the most part work the same the ar-15 has been adapted to work with lots of different ammunition calibers right so 300 blackout is one of those one one of those that is commonly used with ar-15 style rifles semi-automatic rifles magazine fed uh, you know uh, that that's kind of what i'm getting to there they found one of those rifles on the property in in a gun room a rifle chambered in 300 blackout the shell casings that were found near maggie's body 
were found to have trace uh, remnant tool marks is what they're called tool markings uh, from that particular gun. They meaning those shell casings, those those rifle rounds had been cycled through the action of that 300 blackout rifle at some point in their existence, their prior existence, their prior location on that property. So they've tied the rounds to the Murdoch property, even though they have not found the actual murder weapon that it was used in. And they didn't find the murder weapon. How does this affect the case, yeah, and Charlie? Yeah, to put a finer point on this is, is understand what the forensic expert would end up testifying. And he's allowed in. He's going to testify in this trial. It would be that the casings found near Maggie's body, that those casings match casings found throughout Moselle in two separate locations. So the significance from the state standpoint is they would be arguing, from their perspective, the murder weapon that... Has, is missing. And of course, the defense has a spin on this, but they're saying that the murder weapon that is missing, that that weapon would have been used by the defendant because these other casings are on the property itself, and so you can logically presume that he shot his wife in cold blood. And again, we had a chance to look at the, really in effect, the autopsy evidence of, of how she was killed. And Wow, and the evidence of how her son was, was murdered with birdshot and buckshot. So it's going to be some gruesome scenes that are going to be described to this jury. And I want to say this from just from a legal standpoint. This case has been going on for a long period of time, and we've been filing the motions that have been filed as they are filed. And the motion by the defense to suppress this evidence was filed yesterday at 4 p.m. And for those that were in the courtroom, you couldn't help but Judge Newman smiled about that when it was brought up to him. This was filed yesterday, and my thinking on this is that the defense purposely did this very late in the hopes that the state would be caught off guard. They weren't. They had their expert there. They actually were able to file a reply to this motion to suppress within hours. At very six impressive. business hours or something? I yeah, think that's very impressive, and so they were prepared for this. I will say that the testimony of the forensic expert, who did well, Agent Greer, I believe is his name. Paul there, Greer. There was a, there was a motive. Sled there was, agent, yeah. Mm-hmm. There, was a, there was a bit of a uh, tense moment there from my perspective because he wasn't offered as an expert witness, which I think would have been crucial relative to the state's presentation, but he right. was. And so they ended up presenting him, so the strategy could have worked. But one, maybe we can talk about this too, the one, there was just a question that was slipped in there, and it's not going to be that much reporting about this, I think. But the, the, the defense uh, attorney asked, oh, did you know that one of the weapons has been stolen? Which, again... Just dropped it right in. Dropped in. And And dropped it right out again. Like, just kept on rolling with the whole... Yeah. Didn't elaborate whatsoever. To my way of thinking, if that, in fact, could be proven, having the shell casings match on the property would be the best piece of evidence for this defendant. So I have to think, I don't know if that evidence is as solid as maybe they would be... Presuming when one asks such a question. There's no evidence of that. It was just simply a question asked. So there was a lot happening today, and it was a privilege to be in courtroom, but there was a lot going on relative to this case. There surely was. Let's hear what the defense had to say when we were rolling through this. They, they had a chance to go up and uh, speak to the agent Greer as well. What, did, what was the defense saying in their argument to suppress and to exclude this expert witness? Really, yeah. I mean, I had to commend both sides. I actually went at a point of just wanting, going to, to both, in effect, both sides because I thought it was really a, a, an excellent 
back and forth as to their separate positions. But the defense position was one of one, one of which that under accepted scientific principles, and it was done very methodically. I thought very well. Let's hear what the, here's. I think it was uh, the defense side here. One shred of evidence there was any problems between any of them. There's texts, pictures, people that were with them the previous weekend at a ball game, video from that day with Paul and he having a good time. There is no dispute anywhere that they were the perfect family in terms of their relationships. No divorce, no separated, no left him, no nothing. So this is a fabrication and they want to use what Mr. Griffin described as bad character evidence. It's just fascinating. So they really are going after the whole idea that this was a happy family. There were never any problems. We, we knew the Murdochs. We knew this family. And, and they're using that um, certainly as uh, setting up this. They're setting the stage yes. for what they're going to be talking with Alec. Now, let's move on to another very important pretrial motion that we heard about today. We, we heard what we needed to hear. I think the judge heard what he needed to hear to move forward tomorrow to get opening statements under the way as soon as this jury struck. But uh, the, the other one I want to talk about is this, um, the financial crimes. The financial crimes have been, we have been told this is the motive for, for why Alec had, um, this is why the state says Alec killed his wife and son. He was trying to distract from almost a hundred financial crimes that he had been accused. He had been confronted that uh, very day where um, uh, Maggie and Paul were murdered. He had been confronted about some of these crimes and missing money from what we understand. Um, let's listen to what Creighton Waters has to say about these financial crimes and why he wanted them to come in pre-trial, why he wanted them to call, get brought in before. Remember, Alec Murdoch has not been convicted of these crimes. So this is a very difficult situation for the judge. Let's hear what he has to say. Mr. Uh, Murdoch was confronted the very morning of the murder by his own law firm seeking missing fees. Uh, th that's the, the temporal connection of those two events that then tie back to literally a decade of embezzlement. He had been stealing for over a decade, 99 counts to date. Wow. So, what, Charlie, what do you get from there? A lot. Uh, Judge Newman, I think he wisely, in limite, to let the viewers know, that's simply Latin at the threshold. So typically, as Judge Newman pointed out, you'd have such a motion eliminated by the defense to knock out or eliminate evidence being produced by, by the state in their state's case in chief. And he pointed out he didn't like motions eliminate to begin with. He didn't know of them ever being granted for the state to have evidence approved in advance. So he wanted to hear evidence. And what was fascinating to me in the give and take is, and we'll have to have... We'll see how the state handles this, but Creighton Waters has a real decision tonight to make. I, 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 I'm sure they're vetting this back-and-forth strategy because right now there's no objection to this motive evidence, and the judge himself said it could be valid. We'll just have to wait and see. So does he reference this in the opening statement and take a chance that the judge doesn't allow it in and invite a mistrial? That, I think, is part of the defense's strategy as to whether or not objecting to it. My thought would be that he's going to be safe, not really talk about it, but if you – Think about it. The case doesn't really make a lot of sense. What's the motive for somebody killing his wife and his son? So he, he's on the horns of a dilemma now. Well, and I know, and I don't know if we have a chance. It, 
Drew, tell us what you think about these financial crimes. Now that they're not going to be introduced right off the bat, what do you think about that? Do you think as they go into trial and start hearing this evidence, um, I don't know. What What do you think? One thing also, Dick Harpootlian certainly um, once again tried to show how crazy this all sounded. I think we've got the clip. Do you do we have the clip of Dick Harpootlian? Oh, well, Dick Harpootlian basically said, that, what 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 does this mean? The jig is up? Like, I'm going to have to now distract everybody from all of these crimes. I mean, he said it in a very, uh, very strong manner where he was like, look, listen, there's no way you're going to be able to convince me or others that Alec Murdoch would have killed these yes. members of his family that he was so loving. And um, that has been the crux of it. I mean, Drew, do you think that there, once these financial crimes come to light, that this is going to make or break the motive here for the killing? I do. And I also think that the indirect result of, well, not indirect, maybe the unintended result of Judge Newman's order today against the state's motion is that this trial is going to go every bit of three weeks now because each, the state is going to, during trial, have to make their case that this stuff is relevant. The, the the financial crime evidence is relevant, and that's going to lead to a lot of stops and starts. And some of these things, Charlie, I, you can chime in here, but I would assume some of that wrangling and negotiation is not going to be done in front of the jury. Uh, and what effect does that have on the jury as the trial gets longer and longer and the de- <laughs> It, it, you you follow where I'm going? Uh, with I do, that? I do, I do. And that's why the strategy comes in here. The state's perfectly free at this moment in time, an opening statement, to say oh, he did this as a distraction. And if the defense objects at that point and claims some sort of prejudice, the state can simply say, well, you didn't make a motion in limine, as could be allowed under our procedure to stop me. And so... Forget the mistrial, but then the judge may want to get into that earlier on. I think, though, they won't do that. That's very risky, high risk. I don't think that's going to be done in this instance. So I anticipate a very carefully crafted opening statement, avoiding that, avoiding motive evidence. But I do think pretty early on in this case, you do want to start, when I was prosecuting, you want to start with a really strong witness mm-hmm. and end with a strong witness. So I think pretty early on, since I think this motive evidence is so key, there's going to be an effort to say, Your Honor, at this point in time, I want to call X to talk about the financial crimes. Then we'll have the discussions probably in limine, (laughs) in effect, outside the president of the jury. They'll be sent out, and you're right. It could take a long period of time, or there could be some stipulations, because as we were in court today— you could, we had some newcomers come in, didn't we? We certainly did. We had a lot of uh, witnesses, potential witnesses coming in. And it's amazing because we had just heard about this list, this laundry list of 255, I think the count ended up being. Nine pages. Took nine pages. took 12 minutes for the judge to read all of these potential witnesses. So we're all kind of living this, imagineering what this looks like in our minds, in the media and in our with our experts here. Um, and then all of a sudden we come back after lunch and several of them are sitting right there in front of us. And we're like, wait a minute, when did Mark Tinsley come in here, who was the, the lawyer for the Beach family? 
um, with the Mallory Beach, the young girl who died in that fatal mm-hmm. boat crash mm-hmm. with Paul mm-hmm. Murdoch. And- we have some breaking news on that front, don't we? Oh my gosh, yes, we do. So the breaking news on that is that it right literally as we were walking out of court at five o'clock this afternoon, we found out that the judge in in the Beach family um, uh, lawsuit wrongful had, death lawsuit against the Mallory wrongful Beach death lawsuit that's correct had settled excuse me by Mallory Beach's family, not against Mallory Beach. I'm, I misspoke there. <laughs> so they the lawsuit has now settled with Buster Murdoch. And the estate of Maggie Murdoch, which is quite uh, a big deal, that has laid the groundwork for to move forward with the defendants Alec Murdoch and Parker's Kitchen. So those are the only two left in the lawsuit with the fatal boat crash, wrongful death lawsuit. Right? There are actually three, as far as I know. The estate of Paul Murdoch is still listed as a defendant on that case. But oh, yes. They, no, been, you're absolutely right, because he did mention that. So the estate of Paul Murdoch as well, that's right. That's uh, that's a little bit of a, a pedantic point, though, because right. Paul's estate would be negligible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, he was 22 years old. Uh, not sure that he had much. And the, right. the attorneys have come out right and said that. And I wonder, too, how much... I wonder, too, how much... Alex state is Alex estate or Alex personal wealth is at this point. Uh, I, I, unless we're there, you know, I'm sure there's inheritances and retirements and other things that are subject to a potential lawsuit finding against him in that. But I feel like Maggie's estate was the big, was the big chunk of any, any money that, where any a big chunk of any money is going to come from. It was a multi-million dollar estate uh, mm-hmm. through value of property and all that all that stuff. So well, and the people that settled too, just to be clear, were three of the passengers uh, along with the family of Mallory Beach. So uh, we were able to speak to one of the lawyers for for one of them, Connor Cook, um, to verify that, and it was also. Uh, Morgan Dowdy, Miley Altman, and the state of Mallory Beach, which would be her family. So they've now settled with Buster and Maggie, and that just happened literally as we were walking into court. And just to end, like when we were leaving, you know, we hadn't seen anyone on Alec Murdoch's side of the the pews, you know, sitting in court. And for the first time, we saw... Uh, a member of the family show. Wow, yeah, it was his sister, and I'm never asking you about that because in looking at her, you, I knew, I knew, you know, her dad well, and she, her facial profile along with Alec looked very similar to, I knew him as Randy, and it was a touching moment in, in a lot of ways to see a sister supporting a brother, and they had some parting words that were, um, you know. It was it was it was touching. I know it definitely felt uh, she was she was very protected by the bailiffs that were there. There was a lot of security around her, and which kind of drew attention to her. So we were able to identify her pretty quickly. But what really identified her was when Alec Murdoch was leaving. He turned around and said, "I'll see you tomorrow." So it sounds like we're going to probably have Lynn, and we'll see if we have anybody else from the Murdoch family join them. But it's been an interesting day. Oh, wow. We go back into court tomorrow at 11 a.m. Uh, they're going to strike the jury. Yes. Yeah, it'll be a dramatic moment in terms of the strategy of 
the state will have five strikes and the defense will have 10. And you'll, I think you'll be able to pick up, even if you have a chance to watch it, on who they don't want on this jury. And I think it'll be fairly obvious. I was counting strikes that the state didn't want to have, people didn't want to have on there. It got close to five. And I think the defense has a lot more leeway, so we'll see how that goes. But the ties that are out there relative to this defendant, they're, they're there. And most of them are known through the vetting by the court. And there may be some that are unknown that perhaps the state or the defense can find out vice versa with law enforcement and things through their own means. But we'll see. It should be a very dramatic day again here in uh, Walterboro. Day three, we go into day three. So we're going to have probably opening statements. We'll be looking for opening statements. My thought would be they're going to strike this jury that doesn't take long. And he's set it at 11. And so typically our lunches have been 1230 or 1. So I would, that's a good question. He may seat them, you know, pick a foreman. And by the way, one point I should uh, mention too, just from a legal standpoint, uh, six alternates, that's really high. Typically it's two or three at the most. So the fact that he wants six in, to your point, Drew, long trial, or people may not make it through the period of time right. that could be out there. And so he may break for lunch after that process, then have openings uh, in the afternoon. Well, stay with us, guys, because we've got a lot more coming your way. Day three is going to be coming very quickly. Drew, you got something to add? I, maybe we'll do this as a tease for tomorrow's episode after we know more about the jury. But to Charlie's point about the number of alternates, the only precedent we have so far in in anything in the sphere of this broader Murdoch criminal saga is the federal trial for Russell Lafitte, where the last day, the last night of that trial was the whole the whole color of the trial was changed. the The whole picture of that trial was changed by what happened on the very last night with the jury the jury mm-hmm. issues. Does that maybe have something to do with why they're picking such a large jury pool as well? Let's revisit that tomorrow. (laughs) It would surprise me. Let's revisit that tomorrow. Well, thanks so much, and we will be coming back to you soon. Ann Emerson, Drew Tripp, Legal Analyst, Charlie Condon. Great to be with you. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.